And Kyle, tell us a little bit about what you do. Hello, Leslie. Thank you for having me on. Appreciate you creating the space. So I am a photographer by trade. Uh, so media production, I do videography as well. And that's my main, my main sort of, I guess, role in terms of what I do. But then obviously that's not who I am. Um, as a lot of people, you yeah. ask who, who they are and they'll, they'll say what their profession is. Um, right. But yeah. How'd you get into photography? I actually started out with my phone. So I started taking photographs, probably, what was it? Like a iPhone 4 or something like that. And I just, I, I didn't know why, but I was just drawn to subjects and drawn to the combination of light, mm. moment, and an emotion in an image and, and I would just it was just strange I would just see the world very differently than whoever I was with and I would literally just have to jump across the street to take a photograph or you know move quickly or you know and it, and it obviously wouldn't be appropriate uh, normal conduct but I just had to move like it was kind of like this energy force was pulling me in to take this shot it was just yeah it was an incredible experience in terms of how I started out yeah you know it, it sounds to me like you could even maybe learn about yourself through this process is it yeah. possible that you're able to discover about maybe what you're feeling or just have you been able to use it in, in a healing sense yes I, I so definitely through the portraits I took so I, I, you know after I got so into it with my phone I, I did some traveling I was on the west coast of Ireland and taking photographs of surfers and my stepfather at the time said why don't you do this as a career and I just kind of chuckled you know because I think the the indoctrination of society and and schooling system had really you know not made this a, a role that I could play out in you know in, in my in my society so I kind of laughed it off but then I went you know, he said, well, look, your uncle's a famous photographer. And I was like, I can't believe I didn't think of that. I just went straight to not serious job, you know. And yeah. I think, of, you know, him saying that really made me consider, oh, okay, you can go down this path. So I went back to Sydney, studied, um, studied photography and then worked with him for a while. And for my graduating project, I focused on capturing portraits and I actually lived with, I lived with my grandparents. I you know, lived with them since I was the age of 14. They pretty much raised me. They're like my parents. And so I would take photographs of them. And then I, and, and part of my project was just taking portraits using natural light and taking photographs of all of the family around my grandparents' house. And I believed that if I sat with someone long enough and I spoke to them and I asked them enough questions, eventually they would reveal their soul. And for my grandparents that like you know my grandfather uh you know he revealed his souls you know pretty much straight away it was amazing um you know the observer the architect the you know the the kind of you know the the onlooker you know kind of the character in him and and the soul in essence and and then with teenagers, I found it very hard and, and, you know, there'd be a big veil up and you'd, you have to work and work and work and ask questions. It'd take about two hours to finally get to that, that, that soul moment, but it would just be, you know, Leslie, it'd be like a split, like half a second where I just felt like that, that person that I was with went deep into their soul and they forgot the camera was there. They forgot what we were doing. They just went deep within themselves. And then I, I had to be ready to capture that moment. That sounds so amazing. That sounds like I almost got chills. That just sounds so powerful and authentic and real. And it's fresh because of where we're at in society and this collective that just sounded uh, very fresh and, and authentic. And I naturally gravitate towards stuff like that. Um, I actually remember I was very shy. I didn't, I, to this day, I'm just now getting comfortable with having my picture taken. I never liked that. And I remember a photographer once, um, part of his ministry is randomly going and taking pictures of people and just having mm. this, and just a genuine interaction of speaking with them. And he does it in black and white. 
And so he had asked if he could take a photo. And of course I was like, no, no, I don't, you know. And finally he took the photo and he gives you the photo when he's done. And I just, I'll never forget. It's the first photo I've ever liked, but there's just something about my face after he had talked with me and he took this photo. I remember Mm. feeling like I looked like myself. I don't know how to, I had no makeup on. I looked natural, but I, it's like, I could see myself in this photo and I actually liked it and I kept it. Uh, yes. So, and I remember it being a powerful, it was just a powerful moment. Uh, yeah. He didn't teach me. He didn't critique me. He just had a conversation and left, yeah. but it was powerful. And I remember that. So. I, lo- I love where you've just taken this conversation because I think, you know, I, I, from, from, just what, what we started to speak about and where we're resonating. I do think that we probably both believe in more than just the physical. And that's what I really believe is happening here is that, mm-hmm. you know, after that project and taking photographs, I, I traveled around the world, but then I, then I eventually had one of my jobs was taking photographs at school photography. And it's very interesting because that is literally, I need to produce a physical product to sell to your parents. You know, so it's yeah. very much, it's very much the, the kids are startled. You know, there's no soul in their eyes. There's no essence you're capturing. Um, it's very much bang, lights, everything. Is it correct? Is it great? Is it going to make it easy for the printer? Yeah. Is my boss going to be happy? Um, my boss at the time was actually this American guy from, I think, Texas. And he was very, very hardcore, funnily enough. But he, but, you know, I just was like, okay, let me just, uh, you know, so, so you're focusing all, on all the technicalities and all this, the physical elements of the image. But what I think what you just mentioned there is that we're not, we're not focusing on the energy. And that's what happened. He was creating a space for an energy to come out. And that's where I think you create the photographs that are amazing. It's not so much the physical elements. Yes, it shows through in the physical, but it's the energy behind the physical. It's the moment that you're creating through the conversation, through through you know, calming the heart rate down, calming the peak, you know, the moment yeah. down and then capturing that moment. Yeah. I think that is um, pretty powerful that, you know, we can use photography for connection and yeah. connection itself is powerful. And just having this conversation, I'm like, you know, I've never tried photography and I can already feel this interest of like, I've never even tried yeah. it. Uh, but yeah. I can see how, you know, I have a three-year-old daughter and I'm thinking, you know, I wonder if that could even be a bonding experience I could have with her. But, yes. um, so I love to ask this uh, question because I love to hear people's stories. Uh, that's my favorite part when talking to people is I love to hear about them. Tell us a little bit about your story. However sure. long so, or short you want that. Look, look, <laughs> it can be really long. So, um, I think uh, we're talking about editing beforehand and editing, you know, pieces of content. And I think that's something that um, telling my story, I've tried to work out, you know, what the best way of editing it is. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you want people to have like key takeaways and, and something that they can use to you know, add value to their lives. And, and I think that's, that's the, you know, the main purpose that we're, we're sharing information. So for me, I mean, <laughs> I'll give it a red hot go. I, um, I was born in South Africa, Johannesburg. Um, my mom was an international model. So she was traveling around uh, the world and she had three-month contracts, but they would get extended. So she'd have a uh, three-month contract in Paris and then you know Tokyo and then Moscow. So she'd be, it would be, continue to be extended. So I was pretty much for the first few years raised by my South African granny in a South African pub. So I spent all my time in this pub talking to the patrons, um, interacting with them, playing pool. Uh, you know, w- one of the stories goes that I was sitting there on my stool watching TV and this patron that would come on, on Saturdays came up to me and said, uh, you know, had something to say to me. And the reason was I was screaming for my granny and I was, I was saying, granny, I scream, you know, because like that's what, that's what I would, I would ask for. And she came over and said, you know, Carl, you can't scream for your granny. She's back there in the pub working, working, to, you know, working to pieces back there, trying to serve all of us. And apparently I turned to this woman and I was only about two years old. And I said to her, 
if I call my granny, she will come. So that was the <laughs> the sort of what the pub was creating. You know, it was, it was, it was creating, I don't know, not a monster, but it was creating the very uh, confident young kid. And the, the, um, the contrast of that was when I came to Australia. So eventually at about two and a half, my, my mom was traveling around and she traveled to Australia, part of her um, modeling trips. And she met this Australian man and he found out about me and he said, well, we need to bring him over to Australia. You know, it's, uh, I think it was 1995 at the time. He said, you know, it's going to be much safer for him in this country to, to be, you know, to raise in this country. So, you know, he pushed her and she, um, and, and, and they, they brought me over and um, I came into this house and this was his mother's house. So it was my Australian grandmother. So no relation. So I left my South African grandmother, my South African family um, at home. And I came to this Australian family and I was walking up the stairs and my Australian grandmother still tells the story to this day. She says, she looked in my face and she could see this lost look like this, who are these people? This isn't my South African family. And this kind of fear and this kind of you know, uncomfortability in myself. And she said she had this overwhelming feeling from God shoot through her body that she was going to be important in my life. Now, fast track, you know, how many years later? 12 years later. And I was, you know, displaced from home and I know where to go one night. And I um, went down to my Australian grandparents' house and, you know, in the early hours of the morning, they, uh, they came in their robes and they, and they opened the door and they welcomed me into their house and they pretty much raised me for 10 years. So for, for the pretty much for the rest of my, my, my life and, um, and, you know, that they are my parents to this day. So, that, so they were integral people in my life and that they, they definitely are my parents and I still call my grandmother to this day. So, yeah. Wow. That is beautiful. Uh, I think it's amazing how sometimes we, uh, we can meet somebody for the first time and just know, just know that this person's going to be important into our lives. Uh, and I think that's powerful, especially when we feel that and we accept that, you know, and we take that step and accept it. Um, yeah. I've been to Johannesburg. I've been to South Africa twice uh, for humanitarian oh, nice. work. And I love that yeah. area. I actually have Africa tattooed on me uh, because it was oh, a life-changing. Wow. Yeah, it was a life-changing experience. Um, it's got a lot really of energy just, to it. Yes, it is. I was uh, really depressed. And so my I was always attracted to Africa. I don't know why. I was that wow. little kid that was like, I'm going to end starvation and save the rainforest when I was like in the fourth grade. So my yes. parents were like, let's send her out of the country so that she can get out of this victim. You know, I'm so depressed. And it did. I went over there. And when I saw everything I did, I understood I was taking my life for granted. And so it was life changing. I went to help them, but they helped me. Hmm. And it, so, yeah, usually it goes that way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But anyways, I think that's a beautiful story and that sounds like you've had a lot of culture and I think that's amazing um yes. what is all uh, yeah go ahead yeah no I, I it's it's an interesting um word culture I mean I think the thing that I realized or that I worked out was probably loyalty um was was the biggest thing and 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 that kind of surpasses any sort of cultural identity or or nationality. I think for me, um, I mean, one of the stories I can go into, but how I healed my heart naturally, but that was a, a serious period of my life where I had to have loyal people with me and mentally stable people and, and people that are going to support me during that period. Because I mean, for a period of time, I literally had a bug eating a hole into my heart. And this was just at the age of 18. So the, you know, here I am, this Greek looking boy, tan, and I'm in this Australian family and they're everyone's white as white as can be. And just the the loyalty they had to me, this kind of they're not blood at all, but they but they're thicker than blood. I think it's just something that's 
so powerful is that connection, you know, that connection to those hearts and souls that can really be there like nothing else, you know, and I think that's what all humans really want to know is that there's going to be someone there for them like nothing else when they need it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Tell us a little bit about that. Tell, tell us about healing your heart naturally. I want to hear about that. Sure. I, I wasn't too sure how far we wanted to go in. I, I, um, I'll try and edit this one too. I, um, you don't have to, so, I like to go deep as deep as you okay. want. We're on no time limit. Okay, cool. Cool. All right. Perfect. So, um, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, I, um, I was about 18 and I just finished school about two months after out of school. And at the time I was playing rugby Saturday Sundays and I thought I was going to go play for the Springboks, you know, go play for South Africa one day. And I was going to, I had these big hopes and these big goals and dreams. And, and so I was very um, committed to, to that sort of path. And I was coming home one night from the, from the gym and I had a good workout session, sat on the couch, chucked on the tunes, Independence Day was on. I went, oh, cool, here we go. Some fighter jets and some aliens. This is going to be a cracker of a night. And I, um, <laughs> and I sat down and all of a sudden I got really, really hot. So I just took all my clothes off and I sat on the couch stark naked. Then literally a split second later, I got really, really cold and I put all my clothes on. So that was the first sign. The next night I got up to get you know, ice from the, the freezer and, and I collapsed on the tiles and I just laid there for a good, I don't know, it felt like 20 minutes, but I was, I was fully conscious, but I, I could not physically move my body. And then the next day I went to uh, see a doctor. The doctor said, here's some tablets. Here's some, you know, I think we, you've got gastro, took the tablets vomited the tablets up straight away and went, okay, there's something seriously wrong here. A day or two later, I you know, got taken down to my, because I wasn't staying with my grandparents at that time, but I got taken down to my grandmother's and she took me to my uncle and <laughs> this is where it kind of started to escalate. My uncle then took me to, he said, he saw me walking down the hallway and he said, this kid's got a virus. Um, you know, and, and he was a chiropractor, but he had, he had knowledge in other modalities and and you know viruses and sort of things and kinesiology and so he he kind of looked at me and just went you know turn this kid around he needs to go to the doctor and the, if the doctor doesn't send him to the hospital you need to take him he's clearly got a virus went to the doctor and this was a you know a lovely doctor that I had for many years um, lovely Chinese doctor and 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 ten years earlier he, he said he was in a hospital. And he was part of his education. He saw these this this these red dots on the tips of these fingers, and he said, "What that means is that you've got an infection on your heart." And he said, "Carl, you've got these red dots on the tips of your fingers." And so he put me in an ambulance. They rushed me to the hospital, and then at the hospital, um, I was there down the bottom, and I couldn't I couldn't excrete, and so. They grabbed the nurse and they said, you know, like I said, I can't, I can't excrete, can't pee or poo. And she said, you should look at my paperwork. She said, oh my God, you know, there's been a mistake. What are you doing down here? You're supposed to go straight through to ICU. Um, the reasons you can't excrete is because your organs are shutting down. And so then I got taken to, um, to the, you know, surgeon, surgeon where the cardiologist was. And you know, I was there and he, he came over me with his mask on and he said, you know, we're going to put this pipe down your throat and you're going to go to sleep. And I think because you're so sick and you're so out of it, you know, I was just like, okay, you know, sure. You know, because you're just so not consciously there. And he put me to sleep and then he said to my mother, look, he, I don't think he's going to make it through the night. Um, how we can operate, but either way, whether we operate or not, I don't think he's going to make it through the night. And so obviously my mother was overwhelmed and my, my Australian grandmother was there and, and funnily enough, my South African grandmother was there too. So it was like the, the three sisters, <laughs> the three women were there. Um, and yeah, and, and so my mother called my stepfather and a call that I would, I'm, I'm forever grateful for. And she said to him, you know, this is the situation. And he he's a chiropractor and a kinesiologist as well, but he he's got something interesting about him in terms of, and I think my uncle as well, but, you know, 
kind of would use kinesiology and when they kind of pull their fingers away from each other or, or that they, they kind of use pressure pressure points to try and connect and you know i believe they're connecting to the ether you know they're connecting to some sort of information source uh especially when there's a serious situation and you know there's pretty much no way out um i don't know if he did it in that moment but i've seen him do it before so i so i believed that he did it in that moment but he basically got back to my mother and said look i don't um i think he's too weak to operate um rather just let them put him in induced in, in the induced coma and you know but he said obviously you're there you make the call you've got all the information um and so i was putting in in induced coma i woke up about a week later um or quite a few days later and um yeah long story short he was there um he came flew over from ireland and he said this is a situation carl you've got this three centimeter bug eating a hole into your heart and if we don't get rid of it you know every every moment we don't get rid of it it's 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 it could kill you um now this is the medical way now the medical route here's all the paperwork here's what you sign go into the, the uh, upper room um and have the surgery now with the medical route it's very uh you know there's no return so if you if you go in there they're chopping out a piece of your heart cutting out a chunk of your heart replacing it with a metal attachment um, and this is how you're going to be compromised for the rest of your life and so i was 18 at the time still had my heart set on playing rugby for the stream box and um i thought all right that's pretty intense and he said look there is another option so there's a thing called this alkaline diet and the base premise is that we change the ecosystem inside your body and you know you do a juice fast and the bug doesn't have any sugars any carbohydrates you know uh to to stick onto and and basically uh, to to sustain itself and eventually and it dies out and for me you know all i believed in at that time was you know get your protein in you know do your weights all that sort of stuff so i was i wasn't too sure about this whole natural world and i went all right look i trust you as a man you know ward i said you know my stepdad i trust you as a man i trust what you've done for me in the past i trust the loyalty that you've shown me all through my life let's give this alkaline diet a go and then that started a a, a regime of juices of vitamins of visualizations um pulling my heart valves together over my heart i only used did it in the shower obviously because i was <laughs> concerned about what people thought at that stage um and you know and then obviously there was a lot of confrontations from uh you know the medical institute which i didn't realize you know for me growing up you know every doctor's good every um fireman's good every policeman's good you know um not realizing that there's other um other factors at play um and i'm sure that they also were just thinking you know why are you doing this you know we've got a better way of doing it you came to us you know why don't you let us help you so but you know i had nurses trying to throw my vitamins in the bin i had um you know nurses like tell me who do i think i am trying to take my health into my own hands what do i think i'm trying to do um and like i said it was very confrontational because i never thought this could be a reality um and then you know i had the doctor coming in and you know he wouldn't tell us like he wouldn't give us any information and i just found it so weird you know so strange and my stepfather was there and he obviously experienced this many times in his life and he just said he knew the right questions to ask and we finally said all right what size does the bug have to get down to until it's a non issue he said look if it gets down to 0.5 cm it's a non issue and we said great that's what we're going to focus on he walked down in a half and a puff anyway we focused on it focused on it juicing beetroot juices um you know juicing juicing salads that's all it was and then he came in 3 weeks later and he said um he said all right we're going to operate and we said wait hold on a minute you know what's the measurements what's the you know what's the details you can't just you know jump in and 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 want to chop me up um and so, so i said and he said uh you know he wouldn't give it to us and then again my stepdad had to pull teeth with him pull teeth with him pull teeth with him and eventually he said oh look you know it's at 0.2 centimeters and we went oh my god we did it we got the bug down until it's a non issue this is amazing and I, i was losing i was you know like clapping hands of my stepfather and then he walked out in half and a puff and 
At that point, he was actually swearing. Anyway, so <laughs> at, about, at about the six-week mark, we, we left the hospital and I made this amazing, uh, this Somalian gentleman, um, this register, uh, you know, that was working under the cardiologist and, and me and him like got on like a house on fire, you know, we had a great time and I was leaving and I was being pushed in a wheelchair out of the hospital and I felt this hand grab my shoulder and I turned around and it was him and I said, oh, you know, mate, I'm going now, but it's been great again, you know, and he said, oh, look, I'm just here to deliver a message from Prof. I said, okay, shoot. What is it? And he said, Prof just wants me to let you know that your lungs are going to be full of blood. You're going to choke to death in your sleep within about two months' time. And wow. I just started crying. Wow. I was just like, wow. I just pushed, the person pushed me in a wheelchair. I just waved at them and I said, get me the hell out of here. Um, this is not where I want to be. And yeah, I, I left the hospital um, after, you know, in about six weeks of being in that hospital. And I, um, yeah, and, you know, once you start getting better through the juicing and getting healthy and everything, hospital starts to actually feel like a prison, you know. Um, yeah. So, you know, I got out and I hugged everyone, you know, then I hugged everyone again. And then I, and then I was crying about, you know, how the sun felt to my body. And <laughs> it's just very yeah. peculiar. But um, yeah, I was really, I guess, I guess, forced to get in touch with my emotional side. Um, and I do believe the emotional suffocation of the trauma and abuse that I'd received or been, you know, had in my life that had affected my heart, you know, and that's what got me into that, that, you know, and I only came across that, um, I guess, realization in the last few years, but I got out. Um, and then I went to a new cardiologist and this cardiologist said, we told him about our previous experience. And he said, Oh no, like I play golf with that cardiologist on the weekends. I don't want to hear anything about it. And then my family started to arc up and, and I said, everyone out of the room. I said to all my family, get out of the room. I just said, I just you know, need one cardiologist on my side. I just need to work with one cardiologist because what had happened, I'd got rid of the bug, but my heart valve wasn't closing properly. So my heart was leaking a lot of blood. And so over time, that was going to cause major issues for me. So I guess I, I healed my heart, got rid of the bug naturally, and I bought myself time. And... You know, I started to focus on a solution. And, I, and, and in the hospital, the only chance of fixing this valve was to put a metal attachment, you know, cut it off, cut the valve completely off, metal attachment, which that, that thought just really, uh, really didn't vibe with me. And, 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 you know, with this new cardiologist, he said straight off the bat, look, there's actually not a 0% chance that you've heard in the hospital, there's a 30% chance. And I went, great, that's something I can work with. So for a year, I kept healing myself, kept healing myself spoke to um, scientists in Germany who were doing stem cell research on heart and trying to work out what other options are there in the world because we're so confined and indoctrinated to the limitations of the options yeah. that we believe we have, but there are so many more mm -hmm. options out there. And so I um, kept, you know, trying to heal myself, heal myself naturally and try to fix it all naturally. And then at about a year, you know, I went back and he said, look, a 50% chance of repair. And I went, wow, it just keeps improving. 60% chance, 70% chance. And I called my stepdad in Ireland. I said, what do I do? And he just said, what do you want to do? And I said, look, I think it's time I probably have the operation. And then I went in, had the open heart surgery, um, you know, with a focus to repair my valve. And, you know, you know how it goes. They crack your chest open. You're pretty much you know, dead for about five hours while they're working on your heart. And then um, I woke up in ICU literally screaming, repair or replacement, repair or replacement. And I was just going off my head and, and someone grabbed my hand and said, Kyle, it's a repair, it's a repair. And, you know, keeping in mind the viewers at home, I, I was swearing, I was going off my head, you know, in ICU, I was yeah. just so happy that, that, I, that I got, I was so focused on this, this idea of this repair for about a year, you know, and so, so I went through that and then the, the, they came around and, and, and that was a success. And they came around and said, look, you're in heart block at the moment. And I said, what's that? I said, I'm sure I asked all the questions. I knew everything that could go wrong. He said, look, this is something that hopefully will get, will get resolved by the end of the week. And the week came around. He said, look, what happens is when the surgeon's cutting to your heart, there's these electro signals that pump blood into the atrium out of the ventrium. And it's, you know, it's invisible to the human eye. And we believe we probably nicked one of those 
Um, so we're going to, have to put some wires in your chest now. And yes, yeah, so, so so that's the thing that I learned is that um, every insertion is is not a one-time thing. Like, yeah, every time you go under the knife, um, and that's why I look each each person decision at their, at their own. And I'm I'm definitely disclaimer alert, definitely not telling anybody to do what I did or telling anybody what to do with their life. You have free will and freedom of choice, just as I have free will and freedom of choice. You know, but for me, I just I started to learn that every time you go under the knife, you know, it's not something the body generally wants, you know, to be put under. Um, you know, so you know, if you've got gut problems, if you've got different sort of things, you can kind of reverse it with your eating, with with you know, emotional healing, with different sort of things. But going under the knife is very, um, well, what should I say? It's a permanent um, decision. So, you know, after that, six weeks later. I was going for my my license and um, my next stage of my provisional license and you know so i obviously came through the surgery you know getting up every morning um struggling to move because i had i basically had my chest bones my chest bone wired together and pulled back together and you know my, my stepfather was over at the time as well and he said he, he was trying to get me to ocean pools and i was swimming in the ocean pool just trying to get some movement just at you know very start and my younger stepbrother was just uh, swimming past me. and Sorry, my, my younger half-brother. <laughs> I should just say my younger brother. But he was swimming past me. And, you know, he's eight years younger than me. And, and he was creating waves. And every wave was just causing me extreme amount of pain, you know. So that's, that that was the memory of those early times. And and eventually, I, you know, you, you get more movement. And, and those wires, the pain in those wires still come today because, you know your your bones still healing and moving around those wires yeah. so so um yeah so uh, anyway so about six weeks after my open heart surgery I, I went you know to get my license and i was feeling a bit bloated and the person i was with said oh look i think we should take you to the doctor cardiologist yeah let's not muck around you've had heart surgery and yeah. i went to my cardiologist he said what the hell is going on you know you are hours away from dying um you know, did you not see a doctor or a hospital? I said, I went to hospital a week earlier. He said, what did they do? I said, I asked them to give me everything. I told them my condition, everything. And he said, and he looked and he said, you know, well, they only gave you an ECG. And he said, every patient that has heart, had heart surgery needs an echocardiogram, which is basically like an ultrasound for your heart. And he said, this is not tolerable. I'm going to sue that hospital. And, you know, <laughs> and so he, he, he was, he was very upset and he, and he, um, and he got me into to, to the local hospital and, and I went in for an, another surgery. And, and this surgery, what it was is when you have heart surgery, your heart's going through a lot of trauma and your heart sits in a, in a sac called a pericardium. And what I believe, uh, so what happened was the, I had pericarditis, which basically means that sac is filling up with blood. And if it fills up with so much blood, your heart pretty much explodes. So I knew what was happening in the surgery. I turned away and, 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 the surgeon said, oh, Carl, are you okay? And I turned over at him and I saw this, you know, like 20 centimeter, 30 centimeter, it was a bloody long ruler. I saw this huge, I'm sorry, needle, this huge needle. And it was just, and I just went, oh, can I have some more morphine, please? Because you know, <laughs> not good with needles generally, like yeah. I'm okay with them, but seeing this one, it was just like gigantic. And then they looked at each other and, oh, we've got to watch this guy. I think he's pretty keen on the morphine. And I went, no, no, I just, <laughs> that's, that's a freaky ass needle. So anyway, they put, they push the needle into your chest. They push it into your, your chest, your pericardium, your heart wall. And then they pulled out blood and they pulled out two liters. So think of a two liter milk wow. bottle, about two liters of oh blood. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So that was my, my experiences. Wow. And it continued, yeah. it continued as it does, but, um, yeah, I guess that's where a lot of my life lessons um, and how and why I live my life the way I live it today comes from. That is so powerful. I kept feeling my eyes watering. Um, it's oh, it's just a no, no, not like you know this is sad. It was more like this was such a powerful story of resilience because you know I feel like in a way people try to curse people by trying to mm -hmm. say things like you know, you're going to die and you shouldn't be alive and your lungs, you know, and it's like in this way, yes. we're almost trying to curse somebody. And I just feel like, thank God that you did not, you were not just going to easily get an agreement with that. You know, your soul yeah. is like, no, no, I, I'm not getting an agreement with that. I, you know, I'm going to fight that. 
And I, that is what my eyes were watering. Like, you know, that you're fighting that, um, that we don't have to get in agreement with stuff. Um, we don't have to accept these, these sentences that other people give us because I absolutely do believe that we have the power to heal ourselves a hundred percent. Um, even yeah. stuff that people say is impossible. Um, and I've seen evidence of that. And I feel like your story is a powerful testimony that you can do that. And I truly do. I have faith. I do believe that there's going to be a day where your heart might even reach a point where there's not even proof or evidence that even it even went through something, you know, I'm that type of believer, you know, me too. that, yeah. So I think that I'm really excited to hear from you in like five years to find out where you're at in your journey. Because I feel like what you're going through is some, it's some part of a testimony, a story of, I feel like in five years, this is part of a, a type of, I don't know that I want to use the word ministry, because when we think of ministry, we think of a pastor or colonization, but I feel like mm. there's some way you're going to be giving back. And this is a big part of this journey of you overcoming something through your own self-healing your own resilience and it just gave me goosebumps it was a powerful story and so thank you for sharing that it is amazing thank you that thank takes you. a lot that of courage a, i like that I, look i like that word ministry like i understand what you're saying about about the the connotations with it but yeah i, th I think it's the 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 giving back you know that there's a there's a great yeah. um i think he's a minister um desmond tutu in in south africa and and he, you know he said um, at, you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, at, at, at what point do we stop pulling people out of the river and go upstream and work out why they're falling in, you know? Yeah. And I think that's the kind of the core message is like trying to work mm -hmm. that out. And I think that is like, you know, uh, the, the podcast of yours that I was actually listening to earlier was, and, and the interesting point of why don't we teach this trauma healing at school? Why don't we work on these things? from young, you know, education, you know, yeah. I used to always think, edu and, and over in Australia, we, I think actually Australia and United States are the, the two most legislated countries in the world. And I often, when I was growing up, I often questioned, I said, why don't they teach us how to drive better at school instead in, instead of finding us so relentlessly, you know, while we're learning to drive in our early years, early adult years. Yeah. And I just, and because everyone I knew had, had, been fined, had had demerit points, had had all these different things happen to them, just driving. And a lot of it wasn't very negligible driving. It was just accidentally, you know, being a red or something like that. And I just thought, yeah. you know, education solves this rather than just discipline, you know, and, and yeah. I, I think that's something we need to work on as a society. Oh, yeah. I am all for change, for change and transformation yeah. in the school, because I'm at this point where it's like, I want to just homeschool my kid, but at the same time, I don't want to take my daughter away from connection and I don't want to cause social awkwardness, but there's just so much in the school system that I feel didn't benefit me as a child that I do wish, um, I desire, and am willing to be part of that change, uh, for the, the school systems to, to offer our children more, you know, mm. um, you know, re rewarding instead of disciplining and meditations and just all of it. Uh, I and think we so can much... do better. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and there's so much unlearning that I think we have to do from that, from that time. And, and, you know, the most peculiar thing, but because of what we learned at our school in terms of history class, and these sort of things, you kind of came away from school really disliking the British empire or, you know, Brits and then English. And then because of the, the continual lessons that you learned about what they did. And, mm -hmm. you know, I understand you've got to learn about history and, you know, so cause history repeats itself, but I just, I always thought like, you know, is there another way of teaching this where you don't feel sour about a certain culture? Like it was literally yeah. like this whole culture you think is, oh, that's why the world's bad because of these guys colonizing the whole world. Right. And it's like, like, which, you know, it's like, but hey, is there another way we can look at this? Like, you know, like, you know, there's good people in every bad situation. There's bad people in every good situation or, you know, like what are the deeper 
I guess, soulful lessons here or, you know, I think a lot of it is just very much the facts and the, and the, and the information, but, you know, like, and that's what I loved about English classes. I found English class was really, here's the information. Now you extract what you see here and you extract what you feel and you extract what you, you know, where history class wasn't quite like that. So yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Uh one thing I wanted to say is, and when I used colonization earlier, what I was, so I went to do humanitarian work. I just wanted to bring this up just in yeah. case. I went to, uh, I was with a church and we went to do humanitarian work, but there was this underlying layer of let's teach about Jesus with this Baptist culture. Uh, so yeah. it, at the time I thought I was doing this beautiful thing, but there was this lack of truly mm. giving because there's this altar motive, but I didn't understand this at that time. So interesting. I believe in, I work with my ancestors. I believe that, um, there's generational trauma, generational gifts, and I used to not believe in past lives, but now I do. And I had this dream that I had an ancestor that had gone into another country and was basically part of trying to force change, like imposing, like forcing like a new religion or a new way and they died for it. And so, oh. uh, yeah. And That's so hectic. <laughs> I know, uh, and I know that I, I'm not saying that bring up colonization was because of that, but I just wanted to throw that out there that that's yeah. Just in case yeah. somebody was like, no, what no, did no. she mean? That's what I mean is that, um, I I've had to learn the difference between, and they call it dirty energy between the mm. difference of doing for other people purely for the sake of just doing it and just Mm. serving versus doing it and there being some type of all like alter motive Mm. lurking somewhere and that has changed my life to to know the difference between those two things you know um but yeah that's incredible dirty energy i've never heard of that that's that's that's, what i call it (laughs) yeah that's a cool that's i like that it's um can can i ask you a question then just an interesting thought so this is a, like, I read a lot of books and I looked at a lot of philosophy and different sort of things. I'm very intrigued in, in, in I guess, um, yeah, thoughts and, and, and ideas and understanding, um, understanding ourselves more. And I've got this question. Now, do we ever do something that doesn't, how do I say this? Do we ever do something that doesn't give us something? Like, you know, like is like, cause, cause when you're wanting to give just out of not mm-hmm. like, just, I just want to give, cause I get the same feeling. I'm like, I'm, I'm with you hundred percent. When you said about you as a, as a kid wanting yeah. to go there, like I'm the exact same, like that's how I was. That's how I still am trying to work out how I can bring that into reality. But then I kind of worked on, like I was questioned on this and it was like, you know, do is there not a selfish part of you in you wanting to give? Like, because you get some sort of, reward or some sort of return and that kind of had this 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 kind of thought of like every human and you know this is an interesting thought but you know whether you agree or disagree but but every human what we're all doing here is trying to get what we want right in some way or another a lot of us are doing us in a moral way and that could be in a way it could be getting what you want in terms of i want to fulfill my life's purpose on this earth, which I believe is giving back, which I believe is healing people from trauma, which I believe is, is um, re-educating our youth, you know, on better way to live. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It was just, just an interesting thought. Like, is there not I know what some you're saying. Part? Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm it sounds to... like I'm dancing around it. <laughs> no, no. I know what you're saying. I'm about to do a series actually called the wounded healer. Um, the yeah. best way to not explain this is so like, I used to give because a part of me felt better from it. Right. And mm-hmm. to me, that was still on some level, a form of dirty energy in my own world. Mm-hmm. It's still a beautiful thing. I'm still doing a great thing, but I am still benefiting from it. So now where I'm at, maybe in some form, I'm still doing something for myself. But what I noticed the difference is now be from my place of healing it's more like my body my spirit will just give me this feeling there will be this this feeling of i feel the desire or i feel led of let's bless this person 
there's it's it's like an impulse i'm not feeling it because i'm feeling down or hurt i'm not looking for anything i just suddenly feel this impulse if i want to give so i give and then i I just move on you know what i mean i'm not attached to what happens i'm not attached if they um appreciate it it, it, that's the only way I not explain it. Now, if there, if there is something more to that, I haven't become aware of it, but I've noticed the difference from, I used to help people because it also helped me feel better, which is still great. You guys, that's still good. Like do that. Like it's yes. still okay to heal as you help heal other people, which yeah. we help heal. When I say that we don't actually heal other people, but we inspire healing when we help people. Okay. Yeah. But, yes. um, and it's a great place to start as well. Like yeah. you're saying, yeah, but that's, that's where I'm at now is I notice it's more of, I don't help people because I feel I should, or because I feel obligated. It's more that I allow, I wait for this impulse. I allow the energetic impulse. And when I feel it, I just help. And then I move forward. Mm. That's where Beautiful. I'm at currently. See that, that, that reminds me of something else where it was kind of like, it was, it was a, a section talking about um, loss um, and, and attachment and clinging and getting over the feeling of clinging. Like, you know, we can cling to a lot of things and we can even cling to, I guess, our own children, our own parents, our, our relationships in our lives. And it was kind of it had this perspective where it's saying, don't say that you've lost something, you know, like even if, and it went to the point of even a loved one, it was saying, say that you have returned it. You know, oh, or you, and it was just like, whoa, like that's a different energy. You know, like it's it's a different yeah. energy, and it was like it's, it reminded me of something else. Like I heard the other day, like um, lost weight, like oh, you know, lose weight, and it was like, but what happens when you lose something? You want to find it again, and it was yeah. like, and the person said, I've released weight, and I was like, wow, that's a totally different, it's a different shift, you know. I've and, never and I, heard that. Yeah, when I heard it, I was like, I was like, oh, this really ticks something you know, inside my heart. And I think I, I totally understand what you were saying earlier. It was like, you know, are you doing this to fill your cup? You know, and I think that's the thing. Mm-hmm. And like we said, like if you are at the start and you need to and you're, and you're giving and you're, and you're finding a way to help, do it 100%. But what happens after a while is if, if that's all you're doing for so long, it can become a bit in, uh, ingenu- uh, disingenuous, you know, like so yeah. uh, like you're helping to get something or you're helping for something you're helping. And then it, like you said, it's dirty now. And then like, like the water's dirty. And I think that's what it is. It's like my cup is full, but I've got this current inspiration to help you. And I want to action that. I don't feel that's necessarily from me that I need to fill something up. I feel that's from ether or something else. And I'm going to action that, you know, and you're right. It's Mm -hmm. a different energy. Yeah. I just wrote down what you said. Thank you so much because that was just beautiful. I've never heard that. And I was like, oh my, I got to keep this. Like, I want this. Uh, yeah. I, I just instantly was like, I know I'm going to use this one day. I know I'm going to want to refer to this. I wrote that down and that was beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with me. No worries. Something yeah. that was passed on that I felt to pass on. Yeah. I think that's what we're all doing yeah. here. I, I really feel, um, Kyle, that, uh, your story, where you're at right now, combined with your photography, I feel like this is going to be something that's going to be causing huge ripples in your life. I'm not sure how that's unfolding yet, but that's really the, the message that I am feeling right now is that those combined, somehow this is like a, a huge divine part of your path. Like it's meant to be the way that it's been. And so I really want to be able to keep in touch just to find out where you're at, you know, one year from now, two years from now, I want to see like how this unfolds because I think it's definitely meant to have gone the way that it's gone. And I feel like it's going to touch many lives. If people were interested in seeing your photography, like I'm, I'm interested, how can people find you? Yeah, certainly. So my photography is on soulgazingphotography.com. So that's my name of my business, Soul Gazing Photography. And yeah, on that website, you can see some of my photography work. In terms of kind of fulfilling that destiny, uh, I'm, I'm currently writing or uh, editing the book and, and, and possibly when this comes out, hopefully published a book <laughs> um, titled Decide Your Destiny. And it was something that my grandfather said to me one day, just the sun was kissing the side of his face and he had this kind of boyish charm 
a grin in his face and he just said to me, decide your destiny. And I was 18 at the time. And I said, what? You know, he said, decide your destiny. I said, you know, what are you saying, Clivey? And he said, make sure whatever you do in your life that you decide your destiny. And that's what I've, that's the book that I, you know, that I've worked on for the last while and trying to bring all those things in, like you said, so I can, I can give back and I can cause a ripple out and you know, other people can give as well. Yeah. And that's, that's what I've been working on. But a part of that this year, every day of this year, I've created the Side Destiny Daily Dose, which is just a daily vlog that I do yeah. and some takeaways from the day. And I've included some different people in those videos and I'm trying to include more and more. And one gentleman I included recently, he said something quite interesting to me. He said, decide your destiny or is it decided for you? And he kind of said, you know, are you joining the dots? Like think of like dots joining the dots. And then I thought, yeah, you can only join the dots looking back in your life. I think that's kind of the, 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 the pivot that I'm at the moment where I can see or the crossroads, you know, you can look at your life and go, okay, that heart thing happened for a reason that, you know, kicked out of home at 14 happened for a reason that brought me to my grandparents. And that was the reason. And that brought me, and like, like you said, you can like, it, it happened for a reason, you know? Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested to explore that further. And I'm always keen to connect with like awesome people like yourself. Yeah, me too. I love it. Um, I love connection. I think it's powerful. I think it's beautiful. And I think we, we go farther, farther and we do more when we allow that connection to unfold the daily dose. That sounds so interesting. Where, where do we find that? Oh yes. Sorry. I forgot to mention that. No, that's um, fine. I'm just wanting to make sure we include it. Yes. Thank you. Uh, so it's just Kyle Sparides on YouTube. So K Y L E S P Y R I D E S. Some people say spy rides. Uh, makes it easier um and then yeah i'm on uh youtube uh you know all the other or some of the other channels instagram linkedin uh, facebook so yeah but youtube's where i post them up every day and yeah, get them out i think that's beautiful um and that's a great way to be already inspiring people and doing you know I'm going to go ahead and use the word ministry here so that by the time the book is ready, you've already got this audience of people who um, are in alignment with what your book is about. So it's kind of a perfect uh, kind of train here. And that's smart. Like it's, it's just meant to be. I'm excited. I definitely feel that it will be published. So we're speaking that into yes. existence. That's happening. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's great. And it's a huge achievement. So thank you, Kyle, thank you so much for coming on here. And I would love to connect some time and I would even love to have you come back on the podcast. I think there's many things that we could explore together. I definitely yes. feel that you have a, a range of wisdom and insight of very similar topics that I uh, have a lot of uh, interest in. So I would love to have yep. you back sometime. Yeah, I'd love to. Thank right. you. You've got a beautiful soul and energy and I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Have a beautiful day or night. It's nighttime now. Sleep well. <laughs> yes, I will. All right. <laughs>